Welcome to the Best of MBS, where you can enjoy some of the best interviews by Michael Bungay-Stanier, author of The Coaching Habit and How to Begin. I'm on the phone at the moment with Rita Bailey. Now, Rita is the founder and CEO of QVF Partners. Um, QVF Partners is a consulting firm committed to helping organizations create people-focused cultures. Now, Rita has a fantastic background. She uh, was a 25-year-old veteran at Southwest Airlines, um, a two-time recipient of the President's Award for Outstanding Achievement. And in her final role at Southwest Airlines, she served as Director of the University for People. Now, anybody who spent any time in the business world has um, heard of Southwest Airlines' achievements. They are quoted in pretty much every book ever about being one of the most successful businesses, not just because of their capacity to be profitable and be successful in the notoriously difficult airline business, but because they've so clearly created a brilliant culture that engages staff and engages the customers who interact with those staff. And she's also uh, written uh, a book, Destination Profit, which makes that strong correlation between the power of employee engagement and how that there's a direct correlation with that to organizations becoming more profitable. So, Rita, I hope that wasn't too over the top an introduction. I'm very excited to be talking to you. Um, welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be part of this project and to share whatever I can in, in helping to contribute to this whole notion around great work because I'm definitely a proponent of that, Indeed. and so I'm, I'm excited about the conversation. Fabulous. Now, is there anything I missed in that introduction that you'd like to add, just so people get a sense of who you are and where you've come from? I do have uh, another part of my life, <laughs> and I have I am uh, the grandmother of four, the mother of one, and, you know, just like many of the listeners, trying to maintain a balance between uh, your professional life and your personal life. And, you know, really it's about your life in general, isn't it, and how it all blends together. Uh, but I, I am a person throughout my career, throughout my life, who I, I, I follow my passion, and I think it's just important to be present and to be aware because the opportunities are all around us mm -hmm. and I hope that we'll be able to explore that further. So, but no, you did a great job. Thank you for the introduction. <laughs> My pleasure. So Rita, I would, um, I would love to hear a, a story of your own, of your own great work. So as you, as you look back in the past and you think about, you know, a time, well, one of the many times I'm sure that you've been doing great work, could you share one of those stories with us? Well, I, you touched on one of the uh, stories, and I think you opened the door. My role as director of the University for People at Southwest uh, was probably one of the highlights of my of my career, mm. and because it was the opportunity to start something from pretty much a, the ground floor, a foundation, and and to build something that's going to have that left a legacy and, and it's having impact on an organization like Southwest Airlines, you know, far beyond my presence there. And that's, that's an opportunity that I think most people dream about. Yeah. And so, uh, I, I just think back to that experience of coming into that role when we were just what you would 
referred to as a, a small training department right. uh, with less than 10 people in that department. And to come in and have a vision and grow that function from 10 people to 36 people, from three small training rooms to a 40,000 square foot facility that impacted 36,000 employees. Mm. Uh, it was a great feat. I mean, there there just isn't anything like it. And even as I refer to it now, having been gone six years, it's almost as if I'm still, part of me is still there. I can feel that for sure. Now, um, you said something about when you were talking about that, about a, an ability to step in and start moving towards a vision. What what was the vision as you, you know, when, when you sort of showed up and you're like, man, we are a tiny department with just two or three small training rooms. What was the vision that pulled you forward from there? Well, well, as we thought about, you know, it's when corporate universities were coming into vogue, you know, and everybody wanted to have a corporate university. And my first question was, what does that really mean? And so as you looked at our, as our meager curriculum, you know, where we had a leadership program that we offered once a year and it changed every year, I thought, I don't think this is the model of a university. So to have the vision of saying, how do we bring that whole university concept into the, the company and do it in a way that truly benefits all levels uh, within the organization uh, was, was the thought. And it was also, a vi- my vision was, we want to be the first thought, the first call that anyone in this organization who is interested and um, focused on their de- development we want to be the first thought as a partner that they call, you know, right. we, we are the resource for the people of this company. And that was a lofty goal. That was, that was part of the vision. The other part of it was, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners will relate, especially if you're in a, in a good culture and you have a, a, a great organization and you, you're concerned about sustaining that over time. Mm-hmm. And, we also took on the responsibility, self-proclaimed, that we would be the keepers of the culture. Right. <laughs> now, that's huge. When you're talking about an organization of that size and, you know, these 10 people at the time and later 36 saying we're going to take this on as not only are we going to be the primary resource for the people, but we're also going to be the keepers of the culture. So that was the vision. You know, it's such a um, an interesting connection. I mean, on the one hand, um, the 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 def- one of those visions, which is the first resource, the first person to call, that's a very easily pointed to measurable goal. Um, yeah. And then something about the keeper of the culture, you know, we we tend the flame for this culture, that elevates it to an to a if the first one is a rational uh, sort of vision, the the second one feels much more emotional, much more sort of more abstract, but also more powerful and more compelling at the same time. Yes. Absolutely. And and you can imagine that even the members of my team looked at me and they were thinking, I'm sure at the time, how? Right. <laughs> how and how in the world are we going to do this right. and accomplish this and establish ourselves in this role? So, uh, so, but I, I, I was very passionate, you know, and I think when you are embarking upon great work and as you, as you, um, label it, it 
there's something in you that just says, I cannot not do this. Right. This is something that I, I'm supposed to do. You don't even know why. You don't even know how at the time. Uh, but it, you just know that you have to do it. And that's, that was the feeling that I had at that time. You know, there's something very compelling about that. I, I love the fact you've said it a couple of times, which is we didn't know the how. And um, my experience of, you know, many organizations is um, an, obsession, an obsession with the how. And I think of, you know, Peter Block's, uh, one of his latest books, which is called The, uh, the Answer to How is Yes. Yes. And he sort of speaks, it's like, you know, once we get so tangled up in the how and best practice that it actually can limit us to actually what we should be striving for. And that sense of having a, a loftier goal means that because it becomes so compelling, the how, you figure out the how on the way. Absolutely. And usually the how that we think is the most logical, pragmatic way of getting there mm. is not how it actually ends up. I love, you know, what Stephen Covey says, and it starts with the end in mind. Right. And and I think, and that's that's been pretty much my philosophy throughout life, if I think this is the end result that I want, this is where I want to end up, uh, this is the destination, as, you know, we labeled in our book, uh, it then we'll work out how to get there or the resources will come. The the plan will come. It will evolve. And so, and that it's not so static that you aren't flexible because there are going to be circumstances and things that happen that you could not have foreseen. And if you're not flexible enough to adapt, then you still may miss the opportunities. So reader, um, because I know that having left uh, Southwest Airlines six years ago and moved into running your own consulting business, you've peeped behind the curtain of various organizations and looked at you know, what's working, what's not working, what is helping them develop people-centered cultures, what gets in the way of that. What, what do you see as you know, some of the barriers to great work flourishing within organizations? I think one of the barriers is uh, expectations or lack of understanding of expectations. Uh, you know, and I look at this in two ways. First of all, organizations say that they want people who are innovative and creative and and can come in with new ideas and, and right. come up with new solutions. But the structures and the infrastructure and the way that the organizations are governed don't support that. So there's there are conflicting messages there. We want this, but here's the box that we're going to keep you in. Right. So I think that's one thing that hinders organizations. And the other is, and, and this is really sad, this emotionally saddens me that I see so many people in organizations that have truly lost their passion right. if they ever had it. And it's as if we're walking robots mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we we just go through the daily grind and the daily process of doing the activities of the job without really thinking about why am I excited? I was in a session yesterday with two ladies that it was so inspiring to me because rarely do I see this, unfortunately, and they were so very excited about what they were doing. It was as if a little kid on Christmas morning, you know, that (laughs) I can't wait to unwrap the present. And they're just, they were just immersed in and excited about it. And, And it's not that everything is perfect. 
and everything goes well every single day. But when you have that type of passion about what you do, and I deal with lots of professionals in the training industry and in HR and, and we are the people that should be the most excited about what we do because we're transferring that, that spirit and that excitement to others. And if you aren't, if you wake up in the morning and you dread going in and you have nothing to look forward to, and it's just more of the same as I refer to stagnant quo. Mm -hmm. um, That's great. Stagnant quo. I haven't heard that before, but that's lovely. Well, if you think about if it's status, if it's status in today's environment, as quickly as things are changing, it's stagnant. You're Mm -hmm. already just the world is evolving around you. And if you're still doing things the way you did them yesterday, (laughs) it's probably outdated. So, you know, Rita, I am on that point. Sometimes I use the metaphor. I mean, because I talk about good work, great work and, and good work is often that sort of daily, repetitive, familiar, comfortable work which is important to an organization i mean it's it's sort of where the profit often comes from in the short term but you're looking to strike that right balance between great work and good work and to your point you know i'm i often talk about good work it's like um you know satellites that circle the earth that they, they, they do a fine job but they are all on deteriorating um cycles so basically eventually they they run out of steam they run out of puff and they crash and it's the same with the good work. It's the same with the stagnant quote. It, it, is, it is of declining value. And unless you're constantly looking to go, how do we refresh us? How do we challenge it? How do we shift it? Um, eventually, it runs out of puff. Absolutely, absolutely. Another thing that uh, that I think would encourage more great work or sustaining that energy is to, for lack of a better term, celebrate. I, I also see organizations, because everybody's so busy and there's so many things that are, uh, that are uh, competing for our attention, right. that you, they go from project to project, from task to task, activity to activity, with no break in between to stop, acknowledge what we learned, and to celebrate. Right. You know, even if it's just for a moment, it's like, let's, yeah, gosh, completion, we did it, you know, it happened, let's celebrate, let's acknowledge, let's recognize that, and then go on to the next thing. It's like a merry-go-round that never stops, and eventually you just have to get off and take a breath, and and, um, because otherwise... What happens is you become so insular and you're in this bubble that you really can't see outside of it, mm-hmm. and that becomes your world. And people who are, who've lost their curiosity, people who have, uh, they don't stretch beyond what's in front of them, they really can't do great work because it's not you copy, you know, benchmarking is about looking at how others are doing it and, and learning from that, but not necessarily copying and duplicating it, but stimulate, you know, using it as a stimulus. Right. And that's another thing that I think is lacking is just stimulus for sparking the, the freshness in ideas and innovation in the organization. So I've got, I've got two people who I'd like you to speak to, Rita. First of all, because I'm interested in going, because I think you've set out some of the, the challenges to great work in an organization, which is, um, for me, it would boil down to cultures are so busy, people are so busy, and there's so much sort of expectation just to deliver on 
the day-to-day stuff, it is difficult to find the time and the space and to connect to the individual passion to do great work. So I imagine there are two people who are listening to this that might be particularly interested in your answers. One are people in the HR and training worlds. And if you were speaking to them, what would be the, the, the one tip or the one challenge or the one insight that you would offer to them about their role in bringing great work into an organization? And, and, the, sec- and the second group, and I'll, I'll give you both of them and you can choose which one to go first is, is if you're a, I think a lot of middle, sort of mid-level managers will be listening to this and they'll be going, yeah, Rita, that's all very well for you. But you have no idea just how busy I am, how often my BlackBerry goes ping, how many meetings I'm scheduled to go for. To the person who is sort of like caught in the middle there, what would you offer up to them to say, here's how you can get more great work into your life? Oh, boy, those are two great ones and they ones are, that exactly. I'm, very, I'm very familiar with. And one, just for the audience out there, I have been in all those roles, okay? So I, I truly relate from a personal standpoint. Mm. Uh, so lessons learned. And secondly, these are the people primarily that I'm speaking to most of the time when I'm out um, in, in doing presentations. So, uh, and just yesterday, if you, <laughs> and I know yesterday is relative because it yep. will not be yesterday when everybody hears this, but it's pretty much all, all my yesterdays. Yeah. I was just speaking with a training group and a group of training leaders, training and HR leaders, and that very subject came up, so I'll address that first. Perfect. And how can they approach great work when most of the things they do are, if for lack of a better term, label more tactical um, uh, types of activities. And so when you're, and I find irony in that because while most of the job function is technical and tactical, the very fact that they are HR, talent management, OD, training, whatever role they play in that function, it's about people. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, and I, I once had uh, someone from Boeing come and visit me, and they were trying to understand the difference in the cultures and the environments when you have two organizations that are primarily the same size, and one... Uh, reacts and responds a lot more to process and and technical things and other to people. And what he said at the end of the day, he said, you know, here it appears that the processes and all of the the technical activities support the people. And in our organization, the processes and all of that actually rule. It, It is what we focus on. It's what we... Uh, support is what we measure on, mm-hmm. and I think that's part. I think that's what the organization has to do is take a look at uh, those activities. Are they in support of the people and helping them to develop and be better? And is that how you view it and approach it, or are those the things that are taking away from the personal attention and development of your people? So from a yeah from the training in HR that's that would be my question to it's them. A, it's a great question. You know the, um, the the number of people I've worked with over the years that who I've heard railing against you know the bureaucracy that they see imposed on them to you know complete this form follow this process. Yeah, and they're like you know this feels like uh, 
an over-engineered solution. Um, right. And actually, somebody explained this to me the other day, and I thought it was a great explanation. The, the fact that there are three types of systems in the world. There's simple, there's complicated, and there's complex. Simple is like baking a cake. You know, four, four steps, pretty pretty simple, and, you know, even a bloke like me can bake a cake if it's pretty simple enough. Um, complicated is um, like launching a space shuttle. You know, it's not that dissimilar from baking a cake, just there's a whole lot more checklists and processes to follow. Mm-hmm. And complex is the way a flock of birds flock together. Mm-hmm. And um, the the challenge in organizations is that human beings are complex. You know, we actually don't follow our lives with a list of to-dos and next step, next step, next step. We work on some core principles, and that's how we figure out how to work in this world. Right. But organizations uh, tend to move to complicated. They use complicated systems to manage complex people. And the only way a, a system can deal with complexity is by by becoming enormous and overbearing and weighty, and that's part of the challenge. Right, absolutely. But an aside, I'm sorry, I got distracted. So um, what what would you offer up to those those mid-level managers who are sort of going, man, I, I, I'd love to do great work, but, you know, I just have to finish my 60-hour my work week first before I can get round to that. <laughs> For the mid-level people, um, they and I really think that they are the heart of any organization mm-hmm. because they truly are caught in the middle, and you, you're trying to manage it from both ends. And I think it's a matter of not time management as much as it is managing priorities. Right. And I think too often we don't challenge what our priorities are and what's most important uh, for us personally as well as for the organization. We right. just are worker bees. We're the ones in the middle who are just trying to get it all done mm-hmm. and killing ourselves in the process, sacrificing a lot of personal time. And so it's stopping to to say what truly is a priority. Also, I, I see a lot of middle management managers in, in uh, positions that don't delegate. Uh, I think there's there's sometimes the thought that I have to do it all mm-hmm. when you really don't have to do it all. And, and I found myself in this situation as well. I have very capable people on my team, yeah. but because of the role that you have and the responsibility from upper management and the uh, you you sometimes take on more than you really need to instead of helping people to develop by allowing them the opportunity, even if they wouldn't do it the same way. Yeah. Um, so I, I think those are two key things that I see, yeah. not not actually managing from a priority standpoint and what's most important, but just focusing on the urgent and then not delegating. You know, one of the tools that um, I offer up in the Find Your Great Work book is a, a matrix to help people have a think about priorities. And it's a, it's a simple two-by-two two matrix. On one axis is stuff that I care about. Mm-hmm. And on the other axis is stuff that they care about. Yeah. They being the company or, or more ideally your boss's boss. And what I often do is I ask people to map out how they spend their week or their month against that matrix. And it's very powerful because people figure out what it is that they want to do, but the company isn't so keen on them doing. What it is that the company insists on being done, but they're not that engaged in. And then what's the sweet spot, the the work that both they and the company are passionate and, and think is important and urgent. 
and it starts giving people a a map by which they can make some decisions about how they approach the work that they've got. Yes, and that's exactly what I'm what I I would validate in mm-hmm. in in terms of what I see. I don't think people are taking the time to do that. They're just trying to accomplish everything they think, and it's sometimes what they think and perceive the company wants. Uh, and and I think. We believe the experience we have. We don't believe what we necessarily are told. So if I have a leader who works 18 hours a day, but they tell me, oh, you need to go home, you need to leave at 5, be with your family, but they're staying 18 hours a day, then the perception is I need to be here and I, you know, if if I'm going to be promotable, if I'm going to be successful in this organization. So, again, some of that is our own our own stuff, as you label it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Rita, I'm going to ask you in just a sec to um, give the listeners um, information about how they can find out more about you and about your company if they want to follow up and get in touch. But before we go there, I wonder if there's a, a final comment or thought you have around the whole, what does it take for great work to flourish in organizations? I think it, it's twofold. I think, first of all, the organization has to value great work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, while we hear all the time people are our most valuable asset, people are what make this company run, people are, you know, what what's most important here. I, I think there are conflicting messages and actions. Um, so I think there needs to to be uh, a, a confirmation that, you know, that truly is in, in, in actions, not just in words. So that would be the first advice that I would have for, for organizations. For the people, I would say take some time to reflect and get back in touch with where your joy is. You know, what's important to you and what, where do you, because at the end of the day, at the end of this career, and how many people do we see leave after 25, 30, 40 years in a place empty? They're just empty. They've given and given and given all that they can, and they've lost themselves in the process. Right. And so to stop wherever you are in, in this journey and take a look at where you are personally, you know, what, what's important, where's your joy, what's important to you, and to ensure that it's in alignment with what you're doing in that organization. Uh, I, I see people constantly, for lack of a better term, beating their head against the wall, constantly trying to change an environment in an organization that's never going to change. Right. So. One day you have to wake up and say, if they're not going to change and it's not a fit for me, then for my own well-being, I need to change. And while that, that's scary, it's much more rewarding and and beneficial to take that risk now than later looking back and regretting. You know, I've always lived by the philosophy of no missed opportunities, but no regrets. Right. So if you think that the way you're living now and the way you are positioned in an organization now, you're going to regret it later and feel that you have given up your life for that, stop now. Stop the insanity. (laughs) Get off the roller coaster now. (laughs) I think that's the perfect message to end the the conversation. We have stopped the insanity. Um, Rita, if people want to find out more about you or get in touch with you, how would they do that? It's Rita at QVF Partners is the email, 
pvfpartners.com is the uh, website, and my phone number is 972-416-8644. Fabulous. And if you're just to give us a quick um, you know, couple of sentences on the work QVF Partners does. QVF Partners works with individuals, with teams, and with organizations who are truly interested and sincere about changing the environment that people work in to become more people-centered. That's what we do. I'm in the people business. <laughs> I love that. And I love the, the, the insistence about you know, a commitment and sincerity around doing that work. Yes. Perfect. Yes. Not just, we don't want to just check off the box here. We're talking commitment versus compliance. <laughs> exactly. Rita, look, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thanks for sharing your insights, um, both from the perspective of having stood in the shoes of HR and training and also from having stood in the shoes of being a, you know, a mid-level manager or a, a mid to high-level manager and what does it take as an individual to actually take on the responsibility to find more great work. So thanks so much. Thank you for the opportunity, Michael. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us for the best of MBS. You can discover more great content in MBS's newsletter and in his books at mbs.works.